Welcome to Dream Loudly, an impossible original show sponsored by the Dream Loudly Foundation. We are your hosts, Michael Lancaster and Bryce Stanhope. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing defense. We're going to be discussing cones, and we're going to kick it off with a clip by Jamal Crawford. Like to this day, I've never used the cone. The cone, it looks good right now. At some point, there's going to be a 6'4, six, 6'5, six, six, guy who can move. And what that, that cone stand right there. And so now that move isn't as effective if it's just on the cone. You need to actually play people. I'm like, instead of having a cone, I want to see what works and what doesn't work in live action. It's interesting when I watch the loop, his whole thing, you can tell he played basketball growing up. I started trying stuff. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't. Some stuff worked in different areas. I'm like, oh, okay. So when I get to that spot on the court, this move works a little bit more effectively. And I'm doing that. I'm collecting data the whole time. All right. So after hearing that clip by Jamal Crawford, obviously we've had this conversation a bunch where people had this whole discussion of cones or no cones. And let's just go ahead and dive right in. What are your, what are your thoughts on that one? I think, I think the hardest part for me is like, I'm a huge Jamal Crawford fan. He's one of my favorite players. He's obviously one of the players that we've seen that there's almost not another one of him out there. Like he's just very individualized or something about him. That's just different. He moves different. He just naturally figured some things out. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's the hardest part is you're not going to be able to make another Jamal Crawford by just playing. Like you're just not like nobody, nobody's going to figure out what he did the way he did it. It's just, it's just something different about him that it just clicked. And you're talking about like obviously his genetic makeup, yes. his size, his frame, and there is some innate ability to play basketball, yeah. especially if you've been able to be that successful without really training. Yeah. Like he talks about everything he's doing is without cones yep. and really without training. Everything yeah. he did was playing against people. Yeah. So the first note, cause I have our cliff notes here of what we want to discuss, yeah. discuss on this is it's not about what you're using it's about accountability. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times people would even say like, hey, do you feel like that attacked you? No, I don't. Because no. whenever you're talking about training, you're talking about accountability. Now, when you're playing the game, your accountability is obviously your defenders. Mm-hmm. You can't just go wherever you want to go. There's limitations. And so he's always training then by playing with the accountability that's there. Yeah. So it's not really about arguing whether or not use a cone or you do not use a cone. It's really... Do you understand how to use accountability to get better? And I think we both know this. There's more people on the side of not being a natural and not being able to pick up things through that natural process of playing, like figuring out the the drops, the movements we teach, versus how many players have the ability to actually learn these things when they're being taught to them. I think that's the biggest separation in, in kind of the struggle, I think, sometimes if you interview you know, an NBA player who probably was a little bit more natural than most people who probably had the ball in their hands the whole time, who had the opportunities versus we're talking about the more average player growing up. Who's not in the same situations, not in the same areas. They've actually got to train, figure out how to do these movements because they don't necessarily have somebody, you know, older than them, teach them how to do these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously we have an NBA player talking about his own experience about how he got better. Um, and a lot of times you have trainers who have never really experienced training high-level players like this yeah. who are basically coming to conclusions on theories and philosophies. Yeah. So with us, we've obviously been around a lot of NBA guys. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as an organization, more than 100. Yep. Each of us got to be in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're seeing players like this, it's clear that they're, they are different. Yeah. And some of them need it and some of them don't. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I think people need to understand is you can have a player who doesn't need anything. Mm -hmm. I don't need to use cones with them. 
I don't need to use accountability with them yeah. because they already hold themselves accountable. Yeah, they get it. Yeah. They, they understand it. So if you have a player who knows how to move, their shoulders fall into the right position, they understand their space really well, they have great imagination, yeah. you don't need anything. It's true. Yeah. The problem is, are you willing to bet that's you? Yeah. Cause there's also NBA players that we've worked with who did need it. They yeah, needed that accountability absolutely. in order to feel their feet, to feel their body, to really understand their space. And that's why we can't get caught up in this mode of having mm-hmm. to pick and choose. Yeah. The biggest thing that he said in there is he said, I didn't use cones. Instead, yeah. I played. Yeah. The instead word is the only thing that I think we got to get rid of. Yeah. And, and I, I think with, you know, Jamal Crawford, and I think this goes for, you know, quite, quite a few NBA players out there. You also got to look up where they grew up at. Like what type of players were they around? What type of other people around? That's not it for the majority of players. And I think that's what trainers struggle with. Cause I think when trainers talk about training, they're always picturing everybody training in the house with them. They're with them all the time. Yeah. Versus what about the kid in the middle of Iowa who has nobody around him? How is he going to get better? Like he's not going to be able to go out and play. He's not going to be able to play pickup. There's good luck getting 10 people together who are actually decent players to go play around where you can actually get better because we, we both know there is some truth to, you know, these philosophies of, you know, playing up, playing with better players. It can, it can help. But, for but sure. if I don't have the abilities to do those things and step on the court, I just get destroyed by everybody the entire time. Like you're, you're way above your head and who you're playing with. Yeah. I mean, these, th- these two things don't have to fight against each other. No. And you know, for some reason, people think that you have to choose. I think, I think yeah. that just human beings want to think in one way. Yeah. And they, so you have to like pick your team. Yeah. You know, what side of this coin are you on? Playing and training have to go hand in hand. Obviously, mm-hmm. I use cones at times. Yep. I use skill mats at times. Mm-hmm. I use different products at times and training tools. And sometimes I don't at all. Yeah. And sometimes I play. Yeah. Like you do all of that. Yeah. And you don't have to necessarily use one to replace the other. So I don't take offense to anything no. that he said. Yeah, I get it. Playing is, is important. He talked yeah. about the importance of playing against six, yeah, four, six, five, right. yeah. six, 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 seven. Yeah. You can't completely replace that. However, can you always, you know, expect yeah. to have a quality enough pickup game to get to the level that he's talking about? Well, I think, I think I've seen a lot of trainers talk about this too, and they obviously talked about it, is this whole freestyle concept of just go out there and freestyle. But in order to freestyle, you actually have to have skill and ability. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people have is like, okay, we can apply freestyle. Give me a kid who's brand new, who knows nothing about basketball. And if I say, hey, freestyle your way to the rim, you're going to see the most ridiculous thing in the world. Versus if you watch some people like a Jamal Crawford, if you watch a Kyrie and we're like, hey, go freestyle, it would probably look pretty dang good because they've held themselves accountable over the years. They know what the movements are supposed to be. They understand what part of the court would be cut off. That's why I wrote here, playing is freestyle with accountability. Yeah. That's what playing is. You can freestyle all day long, but the accountability is natural from the parts of the floor that aren't available in defense. And freestyle without accountability is probably not going to be effective. So the issue you have of people who teach a lot of freestyle, if you watch them freestyle, it's completely fake. Yeah. They just run straight. It's a straight line. Yeah. yeah. It's, you're doing a bunch of dribbles, but you don't understand space. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. So the whole concept of removing cones just so you can freestyle in fake empty space is mm-hmm. ludicrous. That's where we have to start drawing the lines. Yeah. If you if you allowed a Jamal Crawford to freestyle, I can guarantee you he's going to move appropriately to the space that would be realistic. Well, I think it's even when we look at other sports, like football is a perfect example. If you watch somebody training football, even if they're out there training by themselves, there's usually some sort of an obstacle in a way where they either got to cut 
They've got to move. They've got to work around this space. Versus basketball, this whole concept of just nothingness on the floor whatsoever when I train just doesn't really make sense. No other sport goes through that concept of just open space, just you and the ball. That's it. Right. Open space freestyle is as fake as it possibly can yeah, get. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, you don't, you don't need to try to simulate the defense with those cones, but those cones can represent areas mm-hmm. that you're not going to go over. You're not going to step yeah. over. You're going to obviously change directions. Yeah. They can represent imagination and anything else that you use. That's why yeah. the importance of this is not cones or no cones. The importance of this is, is there actual accountability? Yeah. So, that brings us to the other thing is what are the problems with defense? Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to train through defense, I'm talking about actually playing pickup or actually setting up a training mm-hmm. environment with defense, there's still limitations to that that I think people yeah. need to understand, especially if you're trying to enhance skill. Yeah. So let's quickly jump into that topic of the problems with defense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first biggest one, if you're in any sort of a setting where you're playing five on five, even three on three, whatever, and you're worried about the concept of winning, because after all, if you're playing in those, you're probably thinking about winning. You're 100% going to lean towards the things you're good at. Like, yeah, you, and most of the times nowadays, kids, when they're playing these games, there's either a trainer or there's a coach there. So now you got that trainer or coach talking about what's right, what's wrong. So now you try to make this move and this happens, usually get just torn down by it. Like, it's hey, a you strength environment. Yeah, it's a, it's a strength environment. And that's a perfect way to put it. And then I think that's where the whole concept of, okay, if you look at the way Jamal Crawford played pickup out on a random court, bunch of random guys out there. There wasn't coaches. There wasn't this. There was, there was a little bit more freedom. And I'm uh, guessing he also, because of who he is, he got to have the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so if you get to be the person who has the ball in your yeah. hands the whole time, then you could use playing as mm-hmm. an awesome environment, especially if you yeah. have quality people to play pickup with. Yeah. I would have been screwed in that environment. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I was this little guy. Yeah. I wasn't going to get the ball. Yeah. So I can gain some toughness. For sure. From like fighting for it, but I'm not going to get reps. Yeah. So the only way that I could improve was through training because that's the only time I could get the ball enough to do that. Yeah. And then it's also that it comes down to it. Not only can you always get the ball, but you always have to find people to play. Yeah. That have to be quality people at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get something out of playing against, you know, bad players. Yeah. But not if that's all you're playing against. You're mainly getting a sweat. Yeah, you can experiment with that. Maybe that would be an environment where you could actually work on your weaknesses a little bit if you were wise enough. Like, hey, I want to go try this move. Yeah. Yeah. But still, there's levels to that. Yeah. And some areas, you simply can't find enough people. Mm -hmm. And if I was to train that way and I always had to have a partner, I could never find a partner. No. You have to find people who are at your level or above, who are willing, who are hard workers. Well, I feel feel like even as a basketball player, this is what kind of killed me growing up. I'm from Hastings, Michigan surrounded by farms there's no one there to play with it was it was the big fish in a small pond thing like i got really good for my area there was no one else to play against there was no one else to so like a player like me like i had to fall back way more on actually training by myself in those elements because i mean the next closest town to you in hastings that has basketball players is probably an hour right so what are you gonna do drive an hour to go play some pickup and and what's crazy to me is so much of the training out there right now that's situational yeah. trying to build like constraints while you play mm-hmm. is all of this the stuff that we did in camps 10 years ago yeah you know yeah. where where and obviously there's value to it but that's yeah. camp training mm-hmm. now we're having people trying to make camp training like all the time training mm-hmm. so i mean yeah the problem is why we don't train like that in a normal training environment with three or four people or even that maybe you have a a group of 10 is the players are so unequal 
Yeah. And it's hard to actually have competitive yeah. play. Now, if you're so lucky to have four great players training, then by all means, you can play and get better that way. You can build constraints. You can do all this kinds of other stuff that yeah. will help. But that's rare. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that constraints is, is going to make it more game-like, well, a lot of times that's still going to make it more fake. Yeah. So, for instance, if I have a player who's so much better than everyone else, I can say, okay, now you're only allowed to finish with your left hand. Yeah. Okay. If I want to bring out a 12-year-old right now and play him one-on-one and I have to finish my left hand, I'm still not going to be challenged. Yeah, it's still not going to do a whole lot. It's still going to be fake. Yeah. My left hands aren't going to have any type of real accountability there. And so it, there comes a time where dummy defense and playing against bad competition is just not going to work. Yeah. So, that, you know, I just think that the main thing is, is it comes back down to why are we having arguments mm-hmm. about cones or no cones? Yeah. The whole bones over cones topic is just yeah. dumb. Why not both? I think it's a, I think it's a testosterone thing sometimes. Like people just like seeing the sweat and the, the banging and this, but if you really look at it and like, we've talked about this, like some of that stuff does come down to the whole smoke and mirrors concept where like, yeah, it looks great. Like I, I, one of the NBA guys we both work out with, I flew out to Hollywood with him and watched him go through this workout where they were trying to block him with sticks and stuff. And he just murdered this workout. And then, you know, we got in the van and his manager at the time was really big on like, oh, like he went in there, he killed that workout and was trying to hype up this guy's workout and stuff. And then I just looked at his manager. I was like, you know why he killed that workout? Because what we do on a daily basis. he's skilled. Yeah, he's way more skilled than that. He's way more. So players can make that stuff look so easy and it looks glorious and stuff. But how much better are you really getting in those moments? Yeah, and, and I could even say, look, I, I love Jamal Crawford. I'm a big fan. Yeah, he's fantastic. So I have no problem with what he's saying. No. However, if someone was able to actually bring him through workouts yeah. where he could be held accountable through the use of different constraints or, or tools, I'm willing to bet that we could find some weaknesses. Yeah. And so just because someone was successful doesn't mean that they couldn't have reached a different level. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It comes down to personal taste and what they're yeah. wanting to do. But we, we got to be really careful. Whether or not we're talking about a guy like Jamal Crawford who didn't do any type of training or we're talking about a guy like Steph who's known for training and being coordinative and everything else he's doing, neither of those are the blueprint. Yeah. Because you, you, you can't bet on you being them. Yeah. So we have to start taking why did this work for Jamal Crawford? Mm-hmm. Well, it worked through the experimentation. It worked through the accountability that he mm-hmm. got from defenders and from him, from him actually trying things in the game. Yeah. yeah, we need that. We also need to take something from Steph who's – yeah even better yeah. and say, okay, what is he getting out of what he's doing mm-hmm. and so on. And we can take little bits and pieces from everybody to understand that training and playing go hand in hand. Yeah. You don't have to pick and choose. And the, and the, the example we were talking about is Kobe Bryant. Yeah. So he's a guy who talked about training his weaknesses yep. and not just playing games all the time. Well, he, he was, he was one. I mean, uh, there, there, I mean, we could even talk about Kevin Durant. He talked about that even throughout percentages of like, how often was he playing versus doing this? I think if you ask people now, they think your playing needs to be way more up in like the 75% of what you do is playing and then 25 where his, I, I believe he was talking about like 75% of the time, you know, I'm training, working on my game. Um, you know, 15% of it was, yeah. you know, pick up one-on-one and then the last 10% was actual five-on-five games. But like there, there's there's a lot of different theories on you know what percentage you do this. I think sometimes you got to look at where you're at as a player. But you know you look at your really top top tier players, your Kobe's, your Jordans, your KD's. A lot of them talk a lot more about training and working out than they actually do. Like oh, I went and played pickup the last five days in a row because I know how to train. Yeah, and so if you don't know how to train, you better play. Mm-hmm. 
if you know how to train, you can actually rest a little bit and mm-hmm. not have to play all the time. Um, and, and I would say it this way. They know how to move. Yeah. So that's even more important. Like Kobe was getting his reps, but Kobe was also moving appropriately. Yeah. So he understood his body. His shoulders were, were down. His hand was going towards the floor, which mm-hmm. we help players get that movement by sometimes grabbing yeah. cones or touching objects yeah. because they don't move appropriately. They don't know that feel. They don't know that movement. Yeah. Right. So training is two things. It's your ability to actually get your reps, but also move game-like. Yeah. And so that's why some training tools and some accountability is helpful. Yeah. If someone's not doing that naturally. So it, it really, like I said, from the very beginning, it's not about cones or no cones. Yep. It's about accountability. Yep. Are you moving appropriately to the game? If you can figure out ways to get players to do that, when you know it's a lot harder than just that. Mm-hmm. Some people you put in the game and they don't move right at all. Yeah. And they need some serious work on their body and how they yeah. move. And some players don't. Yeah. So it's understanding which players need that accountability and which ones can you know, get yeah. something out of just playing. And we, we've always said along the lines that like players should graduate from training. Like we've always talked about this. They should graduate from skill training. Yeah. 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 Not training in general. But, uh, I think that's one of the things where like, I think you need to do that from multiple different aspects though. Like we've worked with NBA players that, you know, they're sick of going off ball screens and working on this stuff because it's all they've ever done with trainers. And like we've always said, there's still nothing wrong with those workouts. They should graduate more into the skill side, maybe. Vice versa, when we've worked with players for a long time, we worked with Carl Towns from eighth grade up until about his fourth, fifth year in the NBA. He doesn't need to be with us anymore. He's the most skilled big man in the NBA, which I don't think you can argue that. Like he just moves well. Um, and I think that's one of the things that players do is they just get stuck and boxed in that one way that they've always been working out. And even if we want to go into the lifting world, like there's not a lot of growth when you've just been doing the same thing. You got to switch it up. You got to find a different way. And I think, I think that's the thing where we've had a lot of success with, with NBA players in general is they've been working out a certain way their entire life. Now you switch it up. Now you're attacking it from a new angle. It's crazy how much your game grows. And it's almost if they just need to actually look at it from the same standpoint as lifting weights. Yeah. When you're lifting weights, it's easy for you to think, why am I doing this? I'm getting stronger. I'm getting faster. I'm getting more agile. I'm getting more mobile. Skill training a lot of times is the exact same. Yeah. Sometimes I'm only training this specific skill to get that specific skill, not because I'm trying to simulate any type of game situations. And so when you're doing gameplay all the time, you're not honing in on the strength and conditioning-like aspect of skill training. And so there's just a whole different side of this that so many people don't get to because they think they have to choose. Yeah. And so it's just about getting players to understand what you get out of this, what you get out of that, what you get out of the other, and doing all of them in balance. And that's when players really reach the top levels. Yeah. And, or I should say, they could reach their full potential. Yeah. Because I'm not even going to sit here and assume that every NBA player that we're, we're talking about even reached their potential. Yeah. The potential of some of these people could have been yeah. way more than we ever even knew with the today's advancements in technology mm-hmm. and understanding of skill development and skill yep. enhancement. So with that said, that wraps up uh, another episode of Dream Loudly. The Dream Loudly Foundation is dedicated to offering scholarships to, to players, coaches, and trainers more on the lookout for the Dream Loudly Foundation in the future. And of course, this is the Dream Loudly podcast, which is an I'm Possible original show.